Wonderful. You may be seated. And if you'll find in your Bibles once again, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. We'll move through this text together as uh, the sermon is preached. Well, singing is something that requires hope. Uh, To truly sing, to to belt it out, uh, to believe the words that you're singing requires hope. We've seen in Luke's chapter, uh, Luke chapters 1 and 2, we've seen multiple songs. Uh, We've seen Mary's song. Here we see Zechariah's song. Uh, Last night we looked ahead at uh, Simeon's song and Anna's song. uh, One commentator, as we said the other week, called these the first Christmas hymns. That as the gospel broke onto the scene after 400 years of silence, uh, it made sense that as it were, the beginning of Luke is a musical uh, because we need these Christmas hymns uh, for such amazing truths that require faith to sing. Comedian Steve Martin, in 2011, uh, wrote a song which he called, Atheists Don't Have No Songs. And he called this uh, on the David Letterman show, the entire atheist hymnal on one piece of paper. Now, Steve Martin, it's a little tongue-in-cheek. I, I, I like this song because it, it's sort of poking fun at both sides, at those who are religious and those maybe less so. Martin himself would identify more as an agnostic than an atheist. Uh, but here's what he had to say. I think there's some, uh, some threads of truth here. Uh, the song goes like this, uh, read, not sung. Christians have their hymns and pages. Hava Nagilas for the Jews. Baptists have, rock, have the rock of ages. Atheists just sing the blues. Romantics play Claire de Lune. Born again sing He is Risen. But no one ever wrote a tune for godless existentialism. And here's the chorus. For atheists, there's no good news. They'll never sing a song of faith. In their songs, they have a rule. The he is always lowercase. Some folks sing a Bach cantata. Lutherans get Christmas trees. Atheist songs add up to nada, but they do have Sundays free. Pentecostals sing, sing to heaven. Gothics had the books of scrolls. Numerologists count to seven. Atheists have rock and roll. And cheer happen, you know, the crowd cheers at that point. For atheists, there's no good news. They'll never sing a song of faith. In their songs, they have a rule that he is always lowercase. Now, Martin, with his comedic genius, obviously is poking fun at both sides, but isn't there a grain of truth there? Uh, that to, to sing of good news, to sing of uh, this kind of good news requires faith and it requires hope. If there's no hope, Uh, If there's no belief that God has done or is going to do something, uh, then our hearts cannot join in songs like this. My prayer for you this morning is that you would walk out this morning with hope, Uh, with hope in Jesus Christ, with hope that God is the God who promises and fulfills his promises. Uh, These are the things that are reminded uh, for us by this song of Zechariah. I believe that God wants you to walk out of here with hope. Or that you would be able to sing, even if life is heavy right now, that you would be able to sing praises to him. Let's look at three points then from this text. Uh, the, the point then is to wait with hope. And that has been the theme this, this whole month, uh, to wait with hope. And if you look back at uh, Psalms like Psalm 130, you'll see what we mean by wait with hope. It's this active waiting. As those who are waiting for Jesus to come the first time, and we who are waiting for him to come again, 
It's not an idle waiting. It's an it's a active waiting and praying and, and, and doing the things God has called us to do. But it's waiting with hope, knowing that God has and will show up. And so let's look at three reasons why we can wait with hope in this way. Number one, we can wait with hope because God has visited his people. God has visited his people. And we see that right at the beginning of Zechariah's song. Right in verse 67, Zechariah, this priest who uh, had uh, the angel Gabriel come to him and announce that his son John would uh, not only be a miraculous birth, but he would be the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, This same Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, as keeps happening in these early chapters of Luke, and he prophesies. Um, And here we, what we call Zechariah's song. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He has visited his people. Now, in English, that sounds like, you know, God showed up and and left a flower and a bottle of wine and then sort of went on his way. (laughs) That's what visit sounds like in English. But Luke is tapping into biblical language. Uh, He's tapping into this language of God um, showing up in a salvific way. Um, For instance, uh, Mary herself, you know, as we think of the incarnation of Jesus showing up on the scene, God himself in the flesh, we saw Mary say that she rejoices uh, because God, uh, her Savior, has looked on her humble estate. He has visited her. Or or we see in chapter 2, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Or we saw Simeon saying, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Right? For God to visit his people means that God is showing up. God is doing what he has promised to do. The same word shows up in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 6, as it's quoting Psalm 8, 5. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? That's that same word, visit, uh, to, to visit, to look after, to care for. So when Luke here, when Zechariah says he has visited and redeemed his people, he is tapping into Old Testament language. Uh, This has to do with the incarnation that Jesus came. It also has to do with the exodus. Uh, If if we look back, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses this same word in Exodus chapter 4. As Moses visits the people and and tells them, you know, God is about to show up. God is about to bring you out of slavery. It says the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people, same word, uh, of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And this idea of the exodus, this idea of God showing up, I mean, for a Jew, what would be a bigger event in their mind than the exodus, that they were in slavery and God brought them out to serve him, to worship him? Later in Luke, uh, you'll remember Jesus is on the mountain and Moses and Elijah appear there. We call this the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. You might know that the Greek word there is actually exodus. They were speaking of the exodus that Jesus was about to bring about. And so this is what's happening here. Luke is telling us that this isn't just, this isn't just a, a, a miraculous event that's amazing and just sort of put it in, in the logbooks. Uh, this is the event. Uh, God has showed up. God is visiting his people. 
A Christ coming as a baby who would grow up to be a man who would go to the cross to die for his people is a new exodus. He's about to save his people from their enemies that they would worship him without fear. That's why it uses the word redeem, to buy back, to purchase back. And the word salvation, uh, to, to save from their enemies. This is what's happening. But you might ask, redeemed and saved from who? And when does this happen? Because when is Zechariah singing? He's singing before Jesus is even born. John's been born. He's just been born. He's singing in the past tense. <laughs> he's saying, God, you have visited and redeemed your people. And then he speaks of this Savior who is to come. It's, it's in this amazing way, even the grammar that Zechariah is using shows his faith. He's speaking in the past tense as if this is, this is happening. God has showed up. Jesus is coming. He will go to the cross for his people. He is redeeming his people. It's a, it's a done deal. And so Zechariah sings. But again, from whom? Right? Israel was under the thumb of Rome at this point. And Jesus' coming didn't deliver them from the thumb of Rome. So what is Zechariah singing about? Is his song naive? You know, is, is he hopeful that maybe Jesus will drive out the Romans and, and they don't? And so then the church has to kind of figure out a different way to spin this story? Some will tell you that. No, I, I think he's singing with faith in that this, that even while they're under the thumb of Rome, even while Luke's readers and the early church would start to experience intense persecution, dying for their faith, the words of Zechariah would be on their lips without nuance. They would say, God has delivered us from our enemies, that we can serve him without fear, even in the midst of it. This is why we can wait with hope. This is why we can wait with hope. As they waited for Christ to come the first time, as we wait for him to come the second time, in this in-between time, we can believe in this Savior who said that his kingdom has come, uh, that we could pray that his kingdom would come even today. And so we can wait with hope because God has visited his people. Number two, we can wait with hope because God has kept his promises. And God has kept his promises. Look at verse 72. It says, To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Earlier he said this is as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old to send a, a savior from the house of his servant David. Again, a, a new thing is happening here. This is unprecedented, but it's, it's all a development of, of all the promises that God has given throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the, the promises that he gave to Abraham are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ and therefore among us. What were those promises to Abraham? In Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, to, he says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Those words sound familiar, don't, don't they? And when you think of what the angels say in the next chapter, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. 
And even in Luke, as the Gentiles more and more brought into the story of redemption, God promises to be God to Abraham, to make him a people, to deliver him from all their enemies, uh, to give them a safe land where they can worship God. And this is being fulfilled in Jesus, even among the faithful who live under an oppressive government. They are being freed to worship their Savior. So he mentions Abraham. He also mentions David. Uh, One, that Jesus comes from the line of David. Remember what the angel had to say to Mary. Uh, Your son will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Uh, This is to fulfill what God said to David himself in 2 Samuel 7. Remember, David wanted to build a house for the Lord, a temple for the Lord. And God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. I will raise up your son. I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Can you see how this is being fulfilled? And why Zacharias sings? Because here is the son of David, finally come to reign over his people. And so Zechariah can sing. And so we can sing because God's love is a covenant love. It's a promised mercy. Covenant is such a rich idea in Scripture because it tells us that God is not fickle. When he promises to do something, he will do it. This is different than our experience with anyone else, even the most faithful, right? Um, I was listening to a sermon by Kevin DeYoung, and he used this illustration. Uh, When... When our children ask us, you know, can we go to the store tomorrow and and buy a toy? And we say, we'll see. In our heads, that means probably not. (laughs) In their heads, that means, I swear by all that is good, (laughs) that we will get in the car at first light tomorrow and go to the store and buy whatever you want. (laughs) Um, And there's a mismatch. (laughs) It's not like that with God. With God, when he promises, he, he is oath-bound to fulfill that promise because it has to do with his character. The book of Hebrews tells us this. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place beyond the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf with God, his promises, he, he oath-bounds himself. Think of it, the, the creator of the universe makes an oath to creatures. <laughs> he never had to do that, but he condescends to do that. And he promises, and those promises are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ here. And the book of Hebrews tells us this is like a steadfast anchor for our soul, uh, the promises of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a, what a better metaphor for our time. Right? If you picture a ship being rocked to and fro in the waves, a battered, right? Turn on, I say turn on the news, scroll through the news for two seconds and your heart will be battered by the heaviness of this world. We need a steadfast anchor for our souls. And that's found in God Himself, His character, and His promises that we take hold of. That's why we can sing, that's why we can wait with hope. And so we see that we can wait with hope because God has showed up 
Because God has saved us. And he fulfills his promises. And number three, because God has gathered his servants. God has gathered his servants. We see the purpose of all of this. Surely the glory of God, that's the main purpose. But look at verse 74. You know, he's done all of this, delivered us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. We might serve him without fear. Again, think of the Exodus. I mean, that was the purpose. God didn't go to the people in the Old Testament and say, I'm about to set you free from Egypt so that you could just go and do whatever you want. Because freedom is the goal. (laughs) No, often just sort of unabashed freedom is one of the worst things for us as human beings. No, he freed them to be servants of the Lord because he knew that that's what they were made for. And here as Jesus comes... Uh, as he goes to the cross, as all who have faith in him are freed. I mean, it, Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He has set us free for what? To be servants of Christ, uh, to be slaves of Christ, to use the language of the New Testament. Because it's in being slaves of Christ that we are truly free. Here, he has freed them from their enemies, just like in the Exodus, literally freed from the enemies so they could go in the wilderness and worship the Lord. Here, God's people are being promised that he will deliver them so that their lives uh, could be lived out in praise to him, in service to him. Now, this is priestly language, uh, that we as a kingdom of priests, a royal nation, would lift up our praise to to him with our whole lives. And God has gathered his servants through the work of Jesus Christ. That's why Christ came, uh, to gather a people zealous for good works people zealous for his name, placing his spirit on them, so that just like Zechariah, we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and our lives would be one song after another to his praise. God has gathered his servants and so we can serve him without fear. But again, you might say, isn't this naive? I mean, that's a critique of the Christmas season sometimes is, some of the the songs by the end of this season it's it, are so full of joy, so full of cheer that by the end of the season it could feel like you've had you've had one too many hot chocolates so like the 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 overwhelming sweetness of it and you're thinking this doesn't reflect my life this doesn't reflect what I see when I hear other people's lives or when I see our nation when I see this world. Can we really serve him without fear? Can I serve him without fear when I'm dealing with a terminal illness? Can I serve him without fear when I don't even know where my adult child is right now? Can I serve him without fear when I have loved ones who don't know Jesus, no matter how many decades I pray for them? What does it mean to serve him without fear? Well, we have hope here because... Zechariah, for instance, wouldn't live to see the day when literally Rome is driven away and there would be a day when things are toppled and, and Christianity sort of rises to prominence, but Zechariah, by a long shot, wouldn't see that day. And Luke's readers reading this, hearing this gospel, uh, they, wouldn't, they would still be living under the thumb of Rome and many other challenges and soon under great persecution. And so if Zechariah could sing this without apology and if Uh, the early church could sing this even as they went to the stake, then we can sing this. 
Because we know it's not a naive song. We know that Jesus came to deliver us, but he came as the one who would go to the cross to do so and who would invite us to come and follow him on the Jerusalem road where surely there is suffering, but there is also freedom in Christ, freedom to worship him in our life and in our death. You know, our Christmas songs can be, can be criticized for sort of being overly cheery. But if you listen, even some of the ones we sang today, there's, there's sort of a minor chord that runs through many of our traditional Christmas hymns. And I, I think that's maturity. I think that's speaking to the fact that this season is one of joy, but also one of longing. Uh, it's one where we look at all the mighty works of the Lord, and we also bring to him the many pains and heartbreaks that we experience. Uh, one song, uh, not so much a congregational hymn that we sing, but certainly you've heard this song, and it has beautiful words. Um, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Uh, it was written either in 1863 or 64 by Henry, the words by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, later set to music. It was written right in the midst of the bloodiest war in American history, the Civil War. The carol's first verse is very familiar to us, very peaceful. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and music sweet, the tones repeat, there's peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the writer here says, this carol is not cotton candy, though. It is a beating heart laid bare. It's a carol that still rings true today. By the third stanza, we read this, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow wrote to his friend Henry in 1866, The death of the young men in the war makes my heart bleed whenever I think of it. How much I have felt for you, particularly on that cold December night when I came back with my son and saw you at the station and knew that yours would not be coming back to you anymore. This is the landscape in which Longfellow wrote, We aren't currently entrenched in a literal civil war, but the cracks of our country's foundation are splitting wider. People with power abuse it. People without it suffer. Day by day, the news cycles through horrors. Many days, it feels a little bit like the end of the world, even an apocalypse. But then Longfellow brings the gospel to bear in this final stanza. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Christian, God has visited his people. He has shown up. God has and is fulfilling all of his promises, which find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He has gathered and is gathering his servants all around the world to praise him in persecution, in times of joy, all of it. And so you can wait with hope. And I pray that you would have hope in Jesus, even today. Let's pray. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these songs which come off the page to us in these early chapters of Luke. We thank you that you put songs on our lips, even when our lips are heavy. And I pray for those here of whom today is a joyful day and yet a heavy day, that you would be especially near to them. I pray that you would give us great faith in Jesus Christ, uh, that we would worship him the rest of this day, uh, this week, into this next year, uh, that we would truly be priests set aside for the glory of your name 
Would you see fit to do that among us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.